Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 21. This will also be our sermon text for this morning. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We are currently going through a sermon series six weeks through a portion of Matthew's gospel called, I Will Build My Church. This, of course, is, is Jesus speaking, I will build uh, my church, and, and it's appropriate that we're doing this series through the book of Matthew because the Ma- Matthew is sometimes referred to as the church's gospel, right? Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we can see in Matthew's gospel, while well, we see things that we use as the church, things like the version of the Lord's Prayer that we use in service and in our daily prayers, that comes from, from Matthew. Things like the Trinitarian formula, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's Matthew 28. We see that in the beginning of the service. We see that when we talk about forgiveness of sins. We see that at baptisms. We also see in this section, specifically Matthew 18, one of Jesus' teachings, one of his five teachings here in the Gospel of Matthew. And this one is called the Discourse to the Church. And it's the only gospel where the word church appears. It appears two places, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. Last week, we heard uh, Peter respond to Jesus' question. What was Jesus' question? 
Who do people say that I am? Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly declares, confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, upon this, he says, ha ha, you are right. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this hasn't been given to you by men. It's not that someone told you this, but from God above, from our heavenly Father, you have learned this. And upon this, upon you and your confession, I will build my church. It's Jesus' church. It's he who builds the church. It's not you, it's not me, it's Jesus. And Jesus is in control. Today's text, right after Peter's bold confession, Jesus goes into what's referred to as his first passion prediction. He talks about the fact that he's going to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the rulers, the fact that he's going to die, the fact that he's going to rise uh, again. This is Jesus' first of three passion predictions. And just generally speaking, totally a side note here. But when someone predicts that they're going to die, and that three days later, they're going to get up from the grave and conquer death. And then what happens? They die. And three days later, what happened? Come on, church. What happened? He got up. <laughs> he got up. And so when someone does that, when they talk about that in advance, maybe we should take time to listen to the rest of what that person has to say, right? Just a thought. However, the disciples at this time, they didn't know what we know. They didn't have the advantage of time and distance and where they can look back at this and see the events of Christ. And so when, when Jesus shares that he's going to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die. This is not at all what they had envisioned. This is not what the Christ in their mind was supposed to do. The Christ was supposed to be a king from the line of David, right? So P Peter, he said the right words. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. However, he did not, and the disciples did not have the right thing in mind about what the Christ should do. Their whole lives, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John and Philip and every, all the other 12 disciples, their whole lives, they lived under Roman occupation, Roman oppression. They had an outside force living 
ruling over them, telling them what to do, and they felt out of control. They thought Jesus was the way out. Jesus was going to be the answer. Jesus was, was going to overcome Roman occupation. And not only this, but Peter and all the other disciples, they lived under the oppression of the religious leaders. They thought Jesus was going to set things straight and rule appropriately, kindly, graciously, mercifully. So in their mind, a king, a Christ, a Messiah who suffers, who dies, that does not fit their plan. And they start to feel out of control. Do you like control? Are you someone who likes control? All right. Um, here's how I like control. That's my Google Calendar for next week. And I love this. I look at this, and you, you just see different blocks and chaos. I see schedule, planning, control. I feel peace when I look at this. I know when I'm supposed to be a certain place, what I'm supposed to do. This feels good. Oftentimes, Eden and I, hopefully weekly, if I can control it, <laughs> have a calendar check. And we talk about our week ahead. And when something new comes up, my question is, is it on the calendar? This is, this is how I, I feel a sense of control. How do you feel control in your life? Maybe you're someone that feels control by checking the stock market regularly in your investments. Hmm. Might need to move these stocks around a little bit and feel a little bit more in control. I don't know. Are there other ways that you seek to be in control? Maybe you're a planner. Maybe you have a, a task list that you like to write out and do, 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 do. you can check off the tasks that you have to do. Those are various ways to feel in control, and it's nothing wrong with control to a point. We're called to control ourselves, to control our passions. We're called to live lives of self-control. But there are things in life that can make us feel out of control. If you're a, a, a kid and uh, you're a minor and you're living with your adult, uh, your parents, and, and they say, you know what? Daddy's taking a job across the country. We're going to move. You might feel a bit out of control. What about my friends? What about what I know? The, the, the school I go to, the sports, I'm, I feel out of control. Or if you're a parent and you like to have your day planned and you, you've got things somewhat organized, but then all of a sudden in the middle of Target, 
your toddler starts throwing a temper tantrum and they're lying on the floor and they're kicking and they're screaming and then they're crying. And what do you feel? You feel out of control. When there's layoffs at work and you're wondering, am I next? Am I the next one to be let go? Then there can be feelings of out of, being out of control or health issues can make us feel out of control. Maybe some of you look at our, our country today and you see the th- way things are going, the morality of the country, the, the voting of the country, the election, all these sorts of things, and you, you, feel, you feel out of control. That causes anxiety in us. For me, <laughs> someone who likes to plan, I feel out of control when last minute someone says, oh, by the way, we have to go here, not there. Right? Last minute changes. <sighs> Deep breath, Larry. Deep breath, Larry. Right? Like, this is what makes me feel anxious, out of, of control. Or... If the coaches could just get us the schedule for the season so that we could put it on the calendar and know when we're supposed to go to these certain games and practices, that would be really good for someone who likes the feeling of control. Peter is someone who likes control. Now think of of the disciple Peter. Um, Peter, he's someone that... I think many of us in the church today, we look to as, as a leader, right? Uh, he was uh, the, the leader of the 12 disciples. Oftentimes, their, their spokesperson in the gospel, it's oftentimes Peter is speaking on their behalf. We see later in the book of Acts that it's Peter who's up preaching on behalf of the church on Pentecost, sharing the word of God. Peter was also the older brother of Andrew, so if you are someone who's into birth order, maybe that gives you a little insight onto Peter's personality. Some speculation not completely founded, but uh, grounded in, in Scripture, but something we, we hold with an open hand, that Peter was the oldest of the 12 disciples based off of the paying of the temple tax elsewhere and being of a certain age to pay that. So Peter, by his nature, was a leader. When Jesus says this, predicts his passion, what does Peter do as a leader? <laughs> um, Jesus, come up, come over here. Let's talk. All right. Matthew tells us Peter rebuked Jesus. <clears throat> I mean, if nothing else, Peter had some intestinal fortitude, right? Like the fact that he, he did that. He pulls Jesus aside. He rebukes him and he says, 
far be it from you, Lord. Or other translations can say this, Lord, have mercy. No way. (laughs) This shall never happen to you. Peter, he fancies himself as, as, as God's defender, as Jesus' defender. He's going to come alongside with him and make sure that Christ can be the Christ, the king that Peter has envisioned. And as soon as he says that, <laughs> Jesus calls him flat on the floor. Get behind me. Satan. Ouch! (laughs) Just a few verses ago, Jesus was praising Peter for his bold confession, the Christ, the Son of the God. Now he's calling him Satan. Sometimes this is referred to as the second temptation of Jesus. The first one being from from Satan himself, Matthew chapter 4, in the wilderness. And what does he say? To Peter, he says, "You're a hindrance to me." Now, the the Greek word it's it's worth understanding here what what Jesus is doing. There's a little play on words. He's calling Peter a stumbling stone. He had just said, "You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church." Right, Peter, Petra, little rock. That's that's the whole that's his nickname. What's his nickname? His nickname is is Rocky, if you will, right? The rock that Jesus is going to build his church upon. Now Jesus says, "Nope. You're a stumbling stone. You're going to trip me up if you keep going this way. Get behind me." Peter at this point isn't Rocky. Peter at this point doesn't have in, th- in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus goes on addressing the whole group now and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want a definition of discipleship. If you want a definition of following Jesus in church, we are all disciples of Christ. This verse is the definition of discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And that's hard. to deny yourself the things that you want to do, the things that you have scheduled, the things that you have planned in life, that can be a hit to your pride. And Jesus doesn't pull punches here. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up his cross. There is no mistaking what Jesus was saying at this point. Peter and the other disciples would have heard this loud and clear. When you take up your cross in that culture, you do one thing. You take up your cross and carry it to the place where you're going to be executed upon 
said cross. That's like saying today, take your seat in the electric chair. Put the noose around your neck. Whatever. It's hard to deny ourselves. And Jesus at least admits this. But what we can see here is who's in control. (laughs) Not Peter. Peter wanted to be in control. No, not this way, Jesus. Let's go that way. And Jesus says, get behind me. I'm in control. I am leading today. In our world today, with so much changing, with so much out of control, we like to think that the church is the one place of control, of peace, of lack of change. Things are going to be the way that they should be, right? The way that they've always been or the way that I prefer them, whether that be style of music, whether that be decisions that are made. And we can use different things to justify it. Well, with my age and my experience, I think we should go this way. And then, or, or someone else can say, well, with my age, I'm younger, I'm, I'm youthful, I'm vibrant. I think it's more with the times to go the, another direction. And we like to be in control, and we like to even justify this by claiming that we're protecting Jesus, and we're protecting the gospel, like Peter wanted to protect Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves, does Jesus really need our protecting? Probably not. There's literal death. Like Peter, like many of the disciples, many of the apostles experienced at the hands of of those who oppressed them. You know, it's, it's, it's worth saying too, this is a total, another side note, but taking up your cross, that's not just a metaphor for burdens that we experience in life. That's true. There are burdens, and Christ did overcome them. And we look to him for health and healing, and yet taking up our cross, that's experiencing burdens, rejection, persecution, suffering, even death, specifically for the sake of, of the gospel. There's literal death, and then there's also death of pride, death of ego, death of self-will, death of control. But Jesus helps to clarify this for us. In verse 26, he says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, Peter and the disciples, all they were thinking about was kind of this life, this earth, their present situation. But Jesus, the Christ, the King, the Messiah, he's come for so much more 
than that. He's come to give them not just life of body, but life of soul, to give them forgiveness, to give them light. And Jesus does this through his death on the cross. Peter thought, a king doesn't die, a Christ doesn't suffer, but we know the only way to be king, to be Christ, to be Lord over body and soul is through the cross. And and Jesus, when he calls us to bear our cross, to deny ourselves, he's not calling us to do something that he doesn't do himself. Jesus is willing to go this very path for us. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And when Jesus gets to Jerusalem that holy week, that Thursday evening in Gethsemane, right before all this was going to go down, even then Jesus was wrestling with this because He knew it wasn't going to tickle. He knew it wasn't going to feel good to suffer and die. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees. He's praying fervently. He's sweating. He's sweating blood. And he's asking, Father, please take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. At that moment, Jesus is denying himself. Denying his own comfort. Denying his own life. So that he could follow the Father. When he calls us to bear our cross, he's just calling us. What's he saying? Come follow me. Because if you follow me, This is the way to eternal life. This is the way for salvation of your soul. Jesus goes to the cross so that we can have everything we want and desire. So that we can, everything we we try to obtain by control, whether it be through calendars or finances or whatever the case may be, we actually gain through Christ. When we're baptized into the name of Christ, you're baptized into his death. You're baptized into his resurrection. This is Romans chapter 6. When, when talking about baptism, Luther talks about it this way. That in baptism, the old man is being drowned and the new man is being brought up to life, life in Christ. Peter 
stumbled a little bit a few more times along the way, but ultimately he follows Christ when Christ comes to him and uh, on Easter evening and says, <laughs> peace I give to you, go make disciples. Peter loved others. And we as the church, we do so as well. We deny ourselves. Or maybe another way of putting it is that we love others. Denying yourself, loving others. John says in John 13, verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. Love for other people sometimes means laying down control, and it hurts. But we know that Jesus is with us, and in our actions to share his gospel with the world. And through this, Jesus builds his church. Amen.